0: dot com slash sacred text today to get ten percent off your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P dot com slash sacred text.
2: This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by MeUndies. Deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of me undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody, And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh-so-comfy, making it ideal for all-day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash H-P-S-T. That's MeUndies.com slash H-P-S-T for 20% off plus free shipping. Me Undies Comfort from the Outside In. Chapter 19. The Hungarian Horntail. The prospect of talking face to face with Sirius was all that sustained Harry over the next fortnight. The only bright spot on a horizon that had never looked darker. The shock of finding himself school champion had worn off slightly now, and the fear of what was facing him had started to sink in. I'm Matt Potts.
0: And I'm Vanessa Zoltan.
2: And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text.
0: So, Matt, we're talking about the theme of annoyance today. And so we thought that in our Every Flavored Bean conversation, we would list some of the things that annoy us about the Harry Potter books.
2: Yeah, and to be clear, not to get into our theme conversation too quickly, but, you know, there are things that are deeply problematic about these books. Which we talk about sometimes. That's That's not not what what we're we're talking about. No. Because those things don't annoy. Those things concern or frustrate or even or anger. infuriate. But, right, right. But a noise different. But totally. we'll talk about that. And you will talk about that in the story you tell for us, Vanessa.
0: <laughs> so it was recently Hanukkah, and I was invited to my beautiful, brilliant, lovely friend Julia's house for a Hanukkah party. And Julia is 11 years younger than I am. And she's also one of my best friends. Like, I don't think about the fact that she's younger than I am very frequently. And Peter and I went over early for the party to help. Julia has a beautiful baby who I love. And so Peter and I went over early to help with the baby so that Julia could set up for the party. And we helped set up for the party and we brought some food for the party, right? Like all the things you do when one of your best friends throws a party. Mm -hmm. And then people started arriving. And guess what, Matt? Most of Julia's friends are around the same age as she is.
2: That makes sense. Yeah,
0: it makes sense. And I'm 11 years older than Julia, and Peter is 12 years older than I am. So Peter was a full generation older than the people in this room. Now, Peter is this mysterious thing called an extrovert. So he was still having a great time at this party. He's, like, chatting with people. He also, you know, he's a professor, so, like, he regularly interacts with people this age. He's having a great time. I was having less of a great time. I was like, I feel so old It felt fine when I was like helpful and I was just hanging out with Julia, but now I'm just a guest here and I am not enjoying myself as much. So I go up to Peter and I was like, I think we should head out. Like this officially feels weird that we're here. And right as I'm whispering this into Peter's ear, a young man comes up to us and goes, Hi, are you Julia's parents? And this just like wave of annoyance came over me. And I was like, nope, and walked away, (laughs) went to Julia and was like, I'm leaving. And she was like, okay, is everything okay? And I was like, someone just asked if I was your mother, which (laughs) insinuates that I am your son's grandmother. And Julia was like, oh, uh, okay, you can go. (laughs) And not, that wasn't the reason I was leaving, right? Like, I, I we were going to leave before. But I think that that is why I found the comment so annoying, right, is that it validated this concern and feeling that I had that I was too old to be at this party. Mm. Also, I am only 11 years older than Julia. And so the fact that this man thought that I looked old enough to be her mother— really annoyed me. But the reason I chose this story about annoyance is because it didn't anger me. It didn't, like, depress me. I immediately was telling this story with annoyance, but also, like, it made me laugh right off the bat or 30 seconds off the bat. I was pissed at first. (laughs) And I think that that is really indicative about annoyance is that... Annoyance seems to me to be like anger with a little bit of humor or just like a downgrade of anger. And who isn't flattered at the idea of being biologically related to Julia? She's gorgeous. That's fine. That's right. Proud to be her
2: mom. So my theories on this have shifted. The first time you told me the story, which is before the, you, I think I was one of those people that you told pretty quickly after this happened.
0: Yeah. I think I texted you from the car.
2: I thought the person must have thought you looked, you know, you looked like a person who would have be a teen mother. That must have been <laughs> the—you the, must have been giving off some kind of vibe that you're the kind of person that would have had a child in, as a teen. But now I didn't realize that Peter was also at this party because I didn't realize yes. what kind of party it was. I didn't think that through. You were obviously with Peter. You're a married couple. You were together, right? Yes. Like,
0: And Peter looks old enough.
2: And Peter definitely looks old enough. My mom was a very young-looking person throughout her life, and once we were at a theme park, and there was a person who would guess your age within five years, and my dad was like, go do it, because we're going to win the prize. (laughs) Yeah. But my dad, prematurely gray, and the guy got it five years on the low side because he was figuring— Right. You know, he's trying—there are other signals. So I think it's Peter. It's all Peter. You're fine.
0: Yeah, totally.
2: Here's the really interesting thing about annoyance. Because if we look at its etymology— Dun-dun-dun. (laughs) — The the meaning has shifted over time. It comes from the Latin in odio, which means to put hatred in you. So it actually, originally, like the original meaning had some sense of like the, all the extremes of emotion that we now distinguish from annoyance. Annoyance is like, you know, it's... It's something that's not our favorite or, or irritates us, but is, is not going to consume us. I think of anger as consuming, like it becomes the right. focus of our attention, whereas annoyance is like, oh, I don't like that, but also I can deal with it. I wish I didn't have to deal with it, right? So it's funny how, like, this this idea of putting hatred in me has shifted to the kind of like putting irritation in me in the in the contemporary sense. But they are related. There are degrees of antagonism. Not, it's not a difference.
0: Yeah, I looked at a feelings wheel in order to think about annoyance, and it is a subset of anger, according to psychologists.
2: That makes sense, yeah.
0: But I really like the story of the etymology because it feels like that is the actual process of annoyance, is for half a second you are angry, and hateful yeah. to someone. And then you're like, no, the stakes of this are not high enough. Yeah. Or, or whatever, right? Like, or it's my brother. <laughs> it doesn't make me hate him. Right? Like, yeah, right. one of my brothers will come up and kind of slap me. And I'll be like, ah! And then fine. Whereas if a stranger did that, I would feel hateful toward them.
2: Yeah, that's right. All right, Vanessa, it's time for our 30-second recap. Can you count me in?
0: Okay, Matt. On your mark. Get set. Go.
2: So Harry is still going to be the champion. And he doesn't feel great about it, and then the story comes out, and it's all—it's uh, all—it's just false, and that makes things worse. People are teasing him, and he's very upset. And he sees Cho, but Cho's not. Cho's rooting for him, which is kind of nice. And then Hermione says things, <laughs> and then uh, they go to Hogsmeade, and in Hogsmeade, Hagrid and Moody are like, "We see." Well, Hagrid doesn't, but Moody does, and he says, "Come see me." And he does go and see Hagrid, and Hagrid takes him and Madam Maxime to go see the dragons. He's like, "Oh, everyone's to know that there's dragons." Then he goes back and he talks to Sirius, and Sirius says about the dragons,
0: "Oh, I have to go. Be warned."
2: That was so good. If you think about my 30-second recap... Which I do all the time. I know a lot of people do. If you were to compress it into the length of a sentence, it sounds like a question. Because at the end, (laughs) it goes up and goes very fast. (laughs) (laughs) So if you were able to, like, if compress it all into, like, five seconds, it would sound like I was asking a 30-second question. Because at the end, (laughs) I get very high-pitched. Okay, Vanessa, are you ready? I am. Three, two, one. Go.
0: So Harry is really annoyed with everybody because they're not believing him and Ron isn't coming around and he's actually getting pissed about it. And Hermione is like, that's fine. We can study in the library. And Victor Crumb is in the library. And she's like, oh, it's so annoying. He's not even hot. And Fleur is walking around all hot. And Cedric is like, "Ooh, I'm so I'm having fun with all of this. And Harry is just like, I'm going to die. And he's really upset. And then he finds out about the Hungarian horntail. And he's like, whoa. And then he goes and he talks to Sirius and Sirius is like, Kakarov is a d- death eater. And then Ron comes down the stairs and Harry throws a bat.
2: I forgot about that. Was good. The confrontation with Ron. Yeah. Crucial detail. That was yeah. the
0: only good part of my recap. So thank you for.
2: It was excellent. It was important. It's good. Yeah. So I'd like to start at the beginning of the chapter. Great. As you said in your very thorough and excellent recap, Harry's annoyed. Yes. A lot of people are irritating him and annoying him, and you can see, like, the sort of—it's a degree of anger. There's some anger in him, but also he's not, like, bursting out in rage at anybody. He does in a second. Like, I think we'll talk about this, his bursting out in rage at someone in a moment. But there's also, like, other stuff going on. So in the, in the first paragraph of the chapter, it says, Harry had never suffered nerves like these. They were way beyond anything he had experienced before a Quidditch match, not even his last one against Slytherin which had decided who would win the Quidditch Cup. Harry was finding it hard to think about the future at all. He felt as though his whole life had been leading up to and would finish with the first task. Right. As you said in your recap, he's worried about dying. Like, so there's (laughs) annoyance here, but there's also like straight up fear and overwhelm. Right. Which I'm not trying to say those are the same things annoyance, but I'm also like a lot of these negative emotions overlap and contribute to each other. Right. I think that If one is overwhelmed and scared, you're more likely to, I think, feel anger, right? You're more likely to feel threatened and feel stressed and to react with anger or annoyance at things that might not otherwise anger and annoy you. There's a lot going on with Harry here, and the annoyance seems to be one of a matrix of kind of negative feelings that he's having to navigate right now.
0: Yeah, I think that being annoyed with someone is sort of like a repelling charm, right? It makes you sort of push away from people.
2: What a great Harry Potter term. (laughs)
0: Thank you. Right. It's a way of pushing people away, being annoyed with them. And anger can be a way to push someone away, but it's also a form of intimacy, right? At the end of the chapter, Harry is so angry at Ron. He's like, I wish he would punch me, right? Like, I wish that we could just fight. And instead, they are keeping each other at an arm's distance. And I think that. When you're angry, you're more easily annoyed because you want to keep small things that bother you at an arm's length. You have less patience. And so yeah. things that you can usually tolerate, you're right? Like you're like, no, get away. <laughs> I'm busy feeling this other thing. And annoyance almost feels like a it's a like dealable amount of anger, right? All I had to do was get away from this guy who thought I was old enough to be Julia's mom, and then my situation was solved. Whereas if I'm angry about something like Elves' Rights, there's no, like, small action that I can take to remove myself from the situation.
2: Yeah. You know, it makes me think about sort of anger—we were talking about annoyance as a subcategory of anger. I'm not sure what your feelings, wheel would say about this and or even— people trained in mental health and psychology. But also I want to think about like anger as a subcategory of fear or as an outgrowth of fear, yeah. right? We think about like when we are stressed and afraid, which Harry definitely is, right? Biologically, we respond with either fighting or fleeing, right? Fight or flight. And his the annoyance thing, which is kind of like, just get me away from this. I'm stressed. I'm afraid. Here's the thing I don't like. I don't want to deal with it. That's kind of where Harry is at the beginning of the chapter. Like when people are insulting him and teasing him about the newspaper article there's a part of him that wants to turn around and yell at them there's a part of him you know kind of endorsed by hermione that says walk away from it just ignore it right just like flee from it he wants to fight ron at the end right like all these things i mean the, the dominant emotion at the beginning of the chapter seems like it's not annoyance it is like this absolute fear of being exposed in front of the school which is one fear, like just being embarrassed in front of everybody because he's going to do poorly, but then a deeper fear of like, also, I might die, <laughs> right, at this task. And then also, this is like the subset of everything since the second chapter of this book that we're now 300 pages into. Also, I had this dream about Voldemort, and I think I might die, <laughs> right? Like So like, there's, there's all this deep fear. So of course, he's easily annoyed, and of course, he's easily angry. The more we kind of dig into how Harry's annoyed here, I think it's going to keep pointing back to how deep and maybe even existential, his his fear is as we move, like, deeper into the riskier parts of this, of his journey in this book. Yeah. You gave a great example when you're talking about, like, your brother does something to you that if a stranger did, it would anger you, but it's your brother, so you're annoyed by it, right? I mean, a different way to think about that is, like, when I am stressed, Mm -hmm. I am more likely to be annoyed by things that the people close to me do that any other day would I'd just be like, whatever, or laugh about it or whatever, right? Like, if I'm very stressed and working on something and, and someone's noisy, then I'm, like, super irritated. Why are they so noisy? Even though that person might be producing the exact same amount of noise as they would any other day. It's just because I'm in this kind of stressful place that's I become more irritated or become, like, emotionally afraid and, like, less able to bear that stuff. And that's not really about, like, having a just reason to be angry. Right. That's about me being stressed. And more inclined to to anger, right? And the annoyance version of anger, which is like, this isn't actually a real thing. It's not actually threatening me in any serious way. It's just an inconvenience or it's making it so that I can't manage the thing I'm actually afraid of better. Right. Right?
0: Yeah, I think part of when annoyance creeps up is when we're too tired or frustrated or distracted to assume good intentions, Right. Where something can suddenly seem really intentional or hateful. Like they know I'm studying. They know I'm on deadline and they're being loud. Right. right. And it can right. seem like it has all of these negative attentions when they're like, no, I always have meetings at this time. I'm always on the phone at this time. Right. Like I I'm behaving the way that I'm always behaving. Right. So it's almost as if annoyance speaks to a like diminished capacity for nuance, right? That annoyance comes when for whatever reason we can't see the full context of something. And I think that if I... had been having a great time at that party, right, and had just been like, oh, my God, I totally fit in here. And then this guy had been like, are you Julia's mom? I would have been like, no. But I was at a diminished capacity because he was actually calling attention to the (laughs) exact reason that I was like, I am very out of place at this party.
1: Yeah,
0: And I was so annoyed, right, that no matter how actively people tried to reframe this as a lovely confusion— I, I couldn't hear it, right? Julia was like, it's because you're the only person in my house other than my husband and baby who I have photos up of. And I was like, whatever. Then why didn't he think I was your sister, right? Like, I just kept finding a reason to be annoyed. Whereas I think, again, like, if this hadn't been an insecurity of mine, I would have been like, good point. You do love me a lot. It feels like annoyance is an arrow, right? That's like, oh, this is probably about something else.
2: Yeah. I really like the way you phrased it at the beginning of this comment where you said, you know, it's it's when we're too frustrated or tired to assume good intentions, right? Now, I don't want to reduce annoyance to, like, it's always about the person being annoyed. Because right. some people just are annoying. Totally. Right? And are trying to annoy you, like your brother or like me to you sometimes, right? But the reason I really think it's important to lift up that phrasing is, like, this scene only, like, a page or two into the chapter when Harry's in this frayed state. Like, he when he walks down the hallway, there are people are just jeering at him and— Someone says, hey, Harry, to him in the corridor, and Harry turns around and immediately is ready for the fight, right? He's having the fight-or-flight response, and he's ready for the fight. He wants to engage, and it's Cho (laughs) handing him his quill and wishing him (laughs) luck, right? Like this young person that he, you know, is feeling these nascent kind of crush-type feelings for, this infatuation for. The person in the school he probably least wants to, like, react this way to and most wants to support him is the one who's doing it. But because he's in this kind of heightened state of stress, he reacts immediately with annoyance rather than assuming good intention and turning around and thinking, hey, it might be possible. My crush is trying to wish me luck and give me my quill back.
0: Yeah. And then suddenly all the annoyance seems silly, right? He's like, oh, I'm sorry (laughs) I snapped at you, right? Like, it's embarrassing. But, you know, Matt, I'm just thinking that, like, annoyance is also just really about expectations management, right? When you walk into Hmm. a situation and it's not what you expected, how annoying that can be. Hermione is walking into the library and is like, this will be a quiet place for me to study. Yeah. And then it's, like, also a fan club meeting for Victor Crumb, and she's like, this is not what I want, right? Whereas if the same thing was happening in the dining hall, she'd be like, whatever. And sometimes our expectations are deeply unreasonable, you know, that people should be quiet because they should know I'm on deadline and they should know that that makes me more irritable and they should know, you know, on and on and on. But I do think that we are more likely to be annoyed, especially if we had kind of not quite explicit expectations, right? It's almost, again, if annoyance is an arrow, It's pointing to an expectation that we wouldn't have quite articulated to ourselves. Like, I went to the grocery store a couple of months ago, and their credit card machines weren't working. And I was beyond annoyed, actually. I was irate. And, you know... This technology not working sometimes is a very reasonable thing. But I expected to be able to run in, buy groceries for Friday night dinner with the kids, run back out. And then I, you know, it's just how when our expectations aren't met, I feel like annoyance is right there to like come in yeah. and support us <laughs> through the transition.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's really interesting about like managing expectations, especially with her mind in the library, because, you know, she expects to go to the library to study and she can't because the fan group of Crum is there. But I love that line, which you noted in your 30 second recap, where she, like in her exasperation and annoyance, she says, he's not even good looking. Right. Which is like, <laughs> if you were good looking, I would have some understanding. Right. Like I might I probably would not join the fan club. Come on, it's Hermione. Right. I would probably not join the fan club, but I would get that these others need to be there for him. Right. Like I feel like like that. It's not just the expectation that the library should be a place to study. It's also the expectation that good looking people should be the ones who have fan clubs. I thought that was it was a little window into Hermione, I thought, which I liked a lot.
0: Totally. But it's also interesting because it contradicts something Hermione said earlier in the book, right? Ron says to her, you only like Cedric Diggory because he's handsome. And she's like, that's not true. He's awesome. You know, it's not just that he's handsome. And so it shows right again that like when we are annoyed, we actually become a worse version of ourselves. Hermione, who is like, has this higher level of thinking available to her that you can be attracted to someone for reasons beyond physical attraction and that like good looks only matter a certain degree when she's annoyed is like never mind good looks are the only thing that matters or good looks is actually a value that i respect whereas fame is not right she's like they just like him because he's famous it's like well why is that a worse reason to like someone than the fact that he's attractive
2: that's why I like it, right? Yeah. Because it's a little bit her granting, like, okay, fine, I did I did love Gilderoy for the wrong reasons. And maybe I am supporting Cedric without knowing him so well. This is just a, like, a little bit of a tell right. here. Right. She's like, fame is not a good reason. Good looks is a reason. <laughs> <laughs> and I will be here for Crumb if he gets good looking.
0: If he gets hot.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, let's keep talking about Hermione. Is that okay? Always. Let's always just talk about Hermione. Because Hermione is also mentioned in Rita Skeeter's article. Yeah. As Harry's love interest or girlfriend. Also as beautiful. uh, Right. And also as beautiful. (laughs) Right. And I guess I'm trying to figure out is she annoyed because I think everything we're saying about good looks (laughs) we just talked about like I think that she does not like that it's drawing attention to her. The kind of attention she wants at school is to be a serious student and a smart student. And she works pretty hard to to be that, right? To be serious and to be smart. And that is the reputation she has. And I don't think that she loves being in the biggest wizarding publication and being cited primarily as Harry Potter's girlfriend, right? I don't think that's the way she hoped to show up in the news. But she, if, if she's annoyed by that, she deals with it really maturely. She's just like, ignore it. She just walks by when people say things to her. But I'm also wondering, like, it also, as you said, it also cites her as beautiful, right? And she's like, well, that's not, that does, that's not terrible. Yeah. It's okay if the, the biggest national publication talks about how great-looking I am. And so it's a little bit less irritating when people are teasing me in the hallway because <laughs> they didn't have a national publication cite their beauty. So is she annoyed or is she not annoyed? Like, is she able to ignore it because she's not as afraid, because this isn't as stressful a mention for her? Or is it just because she's mature, more mature than Harry, which he absolutely is. Is it both? I mean, yeah, what do you think?
0: I mean, it's got to be both. One of the things that we hear someone say is Pansy Parkinson is like, you're not pretty enough, right? Like, And so people, it is calling attention to something that we know Hermione is self-conscious about, right? She, we don't know this yet, but she has just shortened her teeth. Later in the book, she's going to straighten her hair. She's someone who's concerned about the way she looks in the way that, Everyone is, and teenagers especially. So I don't think she's, like, overly concerned, and she obviously is very beautiful. So I think it's her maturity, and also it wasn't as bad, right? Like, this article is really pointing at things that Harry would be vulnerable about, right? He still cries at night about his parents. You know, he's not scared because his parents are looking over him, right? He's like, that's hot nonsense, right? My parents haven't been able to look over me from the Dursleys. And, you know, that's a complicated bit of magic that we'll talk more about. And, of course, the article being written about him Is one of the things he's most insecure about, which is the fact that he's always the center of attention and he just wants to be in the stands and like cheering for Cedric and being a regular Hogwarts student. So, yes, Hermione is more gracious, but her level of difficulty is much lower.
2: Yeah. I think that's really that's really right, because there's a way you could read this article, which it it is actually flattering to Harry. It makes sure. him the center of the story. It, it it even though it talks about these moments of like vulnerability, they're like the exceptions that prove the rule that he is a hero. It's like the classic what we talked about last time that she's trying that skeeter is trying to fit him into this hero trope where like, oh, the the strength of the hero is even more compelling because that sometimes he cries yeah. right. like that's that's the story she's trying to tell. But you're right, he's exhausted by this. This has been his whole life since he entered the Wizarding World, and he's tired of it. Whereas Hermione has never had that kind of inflated sort of story told about her, and so it lands differently for her. And Ron definitely has not had that story, and how much would he love to have that kind of story told about him? And I hadn't really thought at all about how this is affecting their dynamic as a trio. The fact that Hermione was also folded into Harry's fame, and Ron is still on the outside of it. Like, you're right, that that must really be, like, affecting their dynamic in ways that aren't going to help them resolve it, (laughs) right? Especially with Hermione in this chapter more and more actually trying to be a conduit towards them talking. Her showing up in the Daily Prophet is not going to help her do that or help Ron talk to her or to her. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot.
0: Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started.
2: This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by MeUndies. Deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of me undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody, And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh-so-comfy, making it ideal for all-day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash H-P-S-T. That's MeUndies.com slash H-P-S-T for 20% off plus free shipping. Me undies, comfort from the outside in.
0: Do you mind if we transition to Ron for a moment here? Yeah, please. Yeah. Because it struck me reading this chapter through this theme that what Ron is, is annoyed. And that is why he wants space yeah. from Harry. He's not actually mad at Harry. He's annoyed. He's like, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of you always being the center of attention. And I think if you really asked him and, you know, were able to sort of like give him serum, he would be like, of course Harry didn't put his name in, right? He's just tired of this. Whereas Ron's annoyance pisses off Harry. It is beyond annoyance. He's angry. And that anger comes from hurt and a sense of betrayal, right? And frustration that Ron sort of can't see past himself. And I think that that is part of why they can't talk. Harry wants to scream and fight because he's pissed. And Ron needs some distance. And I do think that if they were having the same feeling, they would actually be able to resolve this difference faster.
2: Yeah, that's totally right. I mean, again, I hadn't really thought about it this way, but I think you're right. Ron is annoyed, and Harry is angry that Ron's annoyed because, I mean, we hear some of this, like, in in the last chapter when we talked about this, where Harry's like, how could Ron want what I have? right. This is awful when the only thing I want is what Ron has. Right. I want to have a family, right? I want to have, like, a place where I feel at home and loving people all around me who I can count on and all these things. And he's mad that Ron's, like, taking it for granted. Like, how could you be want this when you have everything that I could ever want? And it doesn't go in the reverse, Right. Right. Ron wouldn't resent Harry for wanting what he has. right? Like, he kind of like, yeah, I get that you want this. This is great. <laughs> and I wish you had it. And you could be part of ours, right? Like, he, you're right. That's why it's annoyance in the one direction and anger in the other, because Harry can't understand why Ron would be jealous when Harry's jealous. Harry wants that. <laughs> Harry wants that family and that, and that life. This week, we're returning to Florilegia as our sacred reading practice. Florilegia is a practice in which we each pick a line from the text that sparkles up at us. as something that stood out to us while we were reading. And we're going to read those lines together to see what new meanings might emerge. So what line did you choose from the text this week, Vanessa?
0: He waved and then remembered that Hagrid couldn't see him.
2: Oh, interesting. What's going on?
0: So Harry and Hermione are in Hogsmeade. And they are in the three broomsticks and Harry is under his invisibility cloak because he does want to go to Hogsmeade because he doesn't want to just sit up at Hogwarts. but He doesn't want to deal with other people. So even though it is annoying to Hermione to be out with someone who other people can't see and like a little bit mortifying, she is hanging out with Harry under the invisibility cloak. And Harry forgets that he's annoyed for a moment when he sees Hagrid and waves to Hagrid. But And then he's like, oh, Hagrid can't see me. And the reason I like this sentence is because I feel like this is something I do a lot. Like, you know, that feeling where you wake up and you've forgotten that something bad happened and you're like, oh, that's right. I'm dealing with that. Or the other way around where you wake up and you're like, oh, wait, today is, you know, the day that I get my puppy. And so just those moments where you forget, where you're, Almost like returned to your natural state and then have to be reminded that something unnatural is going on. Seems very human to me. And I love I love that Hagrid is one of the things that makes Harry forget. Yeah. He's just like, oh Hagrid.
2: Yeah. That's what I was gonna say. Just like warmth of feeling towards Hagrid makes him shed all his stress just for yeah. a second. He's just like, oh Which is great.
0: Hey. Yeah. Oh shoot, you yeah. can't see me. Oh, that's right. I'm mad. Okay. What sentence have you picked, Matt?
2: So this is my line. Harry could see a strip of gleaming yellow beneath its wrinkled black eyelid. So the reason Hagrid wanted Harry to come to his hut was because he was going to give him a little, kind of cheat a little bit, and give him a glimpse of what he was going to face in the first task, which is these dragons. Now, Hagrid doesn't know what the task is, he just knows dragons are involved, and I think he's partly excited just to show the dragons to Harry, but I think he also kind of knows that this might help Harry do some planning. I like this line because the Dragons have just been stunned. The handlers are having trouble controlling them. And they've just been stunned. And the Hungarian horntail, which Charlie Weasley, who was there, reveals is the most dangerous and the most frightening or the most formidable of the dragons, has just kind of fallen. And Harry's looking at this dragon. And thus this line, he could see a strip of gleaming yellow beneath its wrinkled black eyelid. It's just a really, a really telling image because it It shows rather than tells, which is what fiction is supposed to do or good literary art is supposed to do, right? Like something about that image shows that even though this thing has fallen asleep, the power, the energy is still there. There's still that like that gleaming yellow is like the persistence of this thing that is just below the surface of this wrinkled black eyelid. It just kind of captures the sense of a danger that has been temporarily quelled, but is still there. And that Harry is going to have to face pretty soon. Let's put the sentences together and see what happens. We'll read yours first this time. He waved and then remembered that Hagrid couldn't see him. Harry could see a strip of gleaming yellow beneath its wrinkled black eyelid.
0: Oh, I love this. He's like trying to get Hagrid's attention because he's like, it's not asleep. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> you did a bad job. Or, you know, because it's Hagrid, maybe it's he's waving to get Hagrid's attention because he's like, it's in distress and I know you care, right? Like, hey, Hagrid, it's not asleep, help. It's scared.
2: I like that reading a lot, yeah. I mean, I was thinking something about vision, something about like not being able to be seen, but I have the sense that if that yellow strip is still gleaming, maybe the dragons can still see Harry and is looking at Harry. But I really like your reading, which is like trying to signal to Hagrid like, you know, that these, that these creatures are in distress. Because it seems like Hagrid is mostly just kind of excited and marveling.
0: I know. You know? It's confusing. I feel like it's poorly written.
2: Yeah, maybe. But, you know, like, I, I'll go to the zoo and see a tiger and just be absolutely in awe of the tiger without doing much reflection upon maybe the welfare of the tiger, which is my fault, right? Like, I just— Is that true? You know? I feel I,
0: like you're like, oh, poor tiger. Also, isn't it beautiful? I feel like we can hold both of these things.
2: I think we can hold them both, but I'm not sure we can hold them both. I'm not sure I always hold them both in the same moment. Like, I can walk into the zoo being, I'm concerned about this tiger. And I can walk out of the zoo thinking, I'm concerned about that tiger. But, like, if I see the tiger get up and stretch or, like, a lion roar, that particular roar, in that moment, I'm just like, holy moly. Yeah. That's a lion. And you're like, oh, I'm in danger. (laughs) This is not how it should be. I should not be this close to that big cat. And I just feel like that's what Hagrid is feeling in (laughs) this moment, and and Harry's just still right waiting, like, "Hello, come back." Yeah, hi. There, there. It's sad. Magical creatures in need of care, professor of the care of magical creatures.
0: (laughs) But I really liked something else that you said, which is the dragon can see Harry, right? That it's just like the reciprocity of this relationship, and again, I think that there's something Mm. very upsetting about the fact that. We think that we see the animals at the zoo, but we don't feel seen by the animals at the zoo, right? Like, that there's this lack yeah. of, like, mutuality that I think that there clearly is here yeah. in the way that you read this. If these two sentences in conversation with each other are about sight, which they do both have that word, see, yeah. I, I really like the idea that it's not just that Harry can see the dragon, but the dragon is keeping her eyes open in order to potentially implicate Harry
2: yeah. Okay, let's flip the sentences and see what comes about. Harry could see a strip of gleaming yellow beneath its wrinkled black eyelid. He waved and then remembered that Hagrid couldn't see him. Oh, So I'm getting like, it becomes a little bit jaunty yeah. now, this reading. Like, I'm following on your kind of continuation of my thought that the the dragon can see Harry. And so like... The dragon is looking at Harry and then gives a little the, – there's a dragon who gives a little <laughs> wave to Hagrid and says, so like, yeah, I'm still here. You think you have me under control, but it's just for a moment because I'm still here. Hey, Hagrid. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the thing I love about the sentence you picked, Matt, is that the the dragon doesn't want to go to sleep, right? And I think that hmm. my sentence can highlight that, right? It's trying to stay awake, and resist this and get a different kind of attention than the attention it's getting, right? It's getting the attention yeah. of, oh, you're so fearsome. And the attention it's trying to get is, no, I'm in distress. And this feeling like, but Hagrid can't see me in my full dignity right now, right? Hagrid is objectifying yeah. them, and, and that is distressing in its own way.
2: Yeah, I think also I it sounds like from the conversation, Hagrid's learning some of these distressing details from Charlie. Right. Yeah, right? that's true. Like, I wonder if this is going to be the kind of thing where Hagrid goes home and he's like, oh, this doesn't sound right. Yeah, You know what I mean? Totally. Like Kind of like going home from the zoo or whatever, right? Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. I hope so. Matt, thank you so much for your fearless leadership through this wonderful conversation.
2: Thank you, Vanessa. It was fun. Always is.
0: Always is. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place Redfin, it's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started.
2: Now we have a voice memo from Ingrid.
1: Hi, Vanessa and Matt. It's Ingrid. I just listened to Book 4, Episode 2 on earnestness, and um, I just wanted to thank you for the new spiritual practice. I don't know a lot about Buddhist practices, and it was really inspiring to go through with you. So I'm excited to keep doing it. I was really interested i we've talked about it before in different ways but in this conversation the way that um the idea of bringing up something you know is painful to someone else uh got introduced again and it occurred to me that there are a couple characters in the books that are much more eloquent in the ways that they can bring up harry's parents um just to like help him know that they're thinking about him in that way and I was thinking mostly about Lupin but then it occurred to me that Sirius does it too and the thing is that both Lupin and Sirius have an easy way to say you're just like your dad in this or this reminded me of a thing that happened with your dad once upon a time I guess Snape does it too but that's not the same so what I wanted to just sort of ask is what do we do if we're not that close to the person who has passed or or to whatever the pain is? Because obviously Lupin and Sirius can do that because they had a personal relationship with Harry's parents. And so there's an ease there where Harry gets to out loud talk about the thing he's always thinking about inside. But what do we do when we do just want to say like, hey, I'm thinking about that, but you have no actual context for what those emotions might bring up. I liked the idea that you mentioned this time of just saying like, hey, I'm kind of thinking about it. Um, I guess maybe as a brainstorm, like asking questions could be an in, um, or asking for a story, but sometimes that feels invasive. So I just wanted to know your thoughts on how closeness in relationship affects the ways that we support people going through grief. Thank you so much.
2: Thanks, Ingrid. Uh, I think you're right. I mean, what makes it easy for Lupin and Sirius to talk to Harry about his dad is that they knew and loved him. And so what Harry feels is like their love coming through their comments. And it makes it tricky. I think you're right when you don't know the person in question and you don't want your comments to sound hollow or false. As we mentioned a couple episodes ago, my mom recently died. And a lot of folks expressed condolences about that. And all of them were meaningful, and I'm grateful for all of them, and, and they were all valuable. Um, but one of the ones that, like, actually affected me a lot in a, in a positive way was from someone who didn't know her. A lot of the people who were giving condolences were people who didn't know her because they're part of my life, not necessarily hers. One of the most meaningful comments was a person just said, no, you know, I obviously didn't know your mom, but I know you and your family, and I know how much she meant to you, so she must have been pretty great because you have a pretty great family, right? And that meant a lot because I, even the person wasn't pretending to know anything about my mom, but the person was speaking from the love that they did have, which was love for our family, right? And to me, that was a that was a really meaningful comment and actually also spoke directly to the thing I was feeling too, which was I was still feeling my mom's love in our house and in our family. And, and so even though this person didn't know my mom directly, she was able to, to kind of tap into that and make it feel real. And true, and I think that's that's all you're trying to do when you're trying to console someone or offer condolences, is to not pretend to be anything you're not, but to speak to the truth you do see. And as long as you do that, I think people will receive those comments and receive them with gratitude.
0: Yeah, I don't have anything really to add, Matt. I think that we all love each other imperfectly and, you know, based on our conversation that we had today, right, sometimes... Just because someone is annoyed, maybe in the moment by the way you handled something, doesn't mean that you did something "quote unquote" wrong. And yeah. all we can do is try. And sometimes it makes sense to try with silence, and sometimes it makes sense to try
2: with words. And I think that's the other thing too right, about Ingrid's voice memo is that the purpose of the brainstorming is not to figure out the words that will fix it, right? Right? Because there are no words that fix it. the The purpose is just to be there to indicate to right. a person, I'm here for you. And if, if it's my, <laughs> my insufficient words that you need, I'll say those. And if it's just my presence, I'll offer those too. But it's just signaling to the person that you're not gonna go through this alone. We'll be here with you.
0: Right. right. It's now time for us to remember members of our community who have been loved and lost. Chip Collish, who was 37, and a loving father of four. Siraket Duven Utclev, who was 49, a mom, stepmom, grandma, and a dedicated teacher. Mary Bell Gordonier, who was 90, and a grandma who loved the babies. Mace, they were a lover of spooky season, cats, and the arts. Troy Hopper, who was 62, a loving father and husband, and a devoted community member. Tom Stuckey, who was 78, a teacher, builder, and stubborn to the end. may their memories be a blessing. Matt, it's now time for us to offer blessings. Who would you like to offer a
2: blessing for? I'd like to bless the Creevy Brothers. So in this chapter, we find the Creevy Brothers in the Gryffindor common room. And they are trying to bewitch these badges that are circulating around the school, which say, Potter Stinks. They're trying to make them say, support Harry Potter, right? They're not great at magic, and so the best they can do is make them say, Potter really stinks. I just love that these, these two, they think that they can just get a couple of these badges to say something different. The tide of popular opinion at Hogwarts will turn <laughs> towards <laughs> Harry. I like that they're just like, every, we can I mean, do this it. is so creepy, brothers. Every little bit counts. Let's do what we can. We've got a couple badges here. If we get these three badges that say support Harry <laughs> Potter and we wear them, who knows what will happen? I just like, I like the impossible odds things. I like that the Creepy Brothers are so positive. They're so optimistic. They just are going to make every little difference they can. And they're doing it right now and bless them for that.
0: Why aren't they just making new badges that say like Harry Potter's great?
2: That's what I also love about it. <laughs> right? Like They're like, we have to undo the damage. And replace it with <laughs> the right thing. I just, Something
0: it's, theologically noble about it.
2: But so earnest. Like, they believe in their cause so deeply. They're like, any good thing is the right thing, and this is a good thing. But you're right. There's so many more effective ways. <laughs> Vanessa, who are you blessing?
0: I am blessing Charlie Weasley. Even though he has a career that I don't have a tremendous amount of respect for, he says the following. How's Harry. He asks Hagrid. And I just love that he's concerned about Harry. He's like, I read the article, but this is so scary. And it, it implies that he doesn't really think that Harry did this, right? He's like a critical thinker who's not like Harry is so excited to do the four wizard tournament. And then I also love him for saying, I didn't dare tell mom <laughs> what the task was. He's like, taking care, he's concerned about Harry, but he's also taking care of Molly because he's like, Molly would worry so much if she knew that he had to deal with the dragon. And so just Charlie walking around, being compassionate, at least to humans.
2: Next week, we'll be reading Book 4, Chapter 4, The First Task, with Margaret H. Willison. New addition to the staff of Not Productions. And we'll be reading through the theme of intelligence.
0: Yeah, because I'll be on break, Matt. I'm taking some time off. Everybody, for this week's announcement, I'm going to put in a plug. Leave us a review wherever you listen. It is how people find us. And if you leave us a review in the next few weeks, we will shout out your name to thank you in the credits. So leave us a review. But again, only if you like us. If you don't like us, please keep that to yourself.
2: This has been a Not Sorry Production, and Not Sorry Productions is a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. Our engineer is Malika Gumpankum. We're edited and produced by AJ Ramos. Our music is by Ivan Paisa and Nick Bull, and we are distributed by Acast.
0: We'd like to thank Ingrid for this week's voicemail, Lara Glass, Julia Argy, my beloved daughter, Margaret H. Wilson, Nikki Zoltan, Hannah Rehat, Courtney Brown, Turk Kyle, Stephanie Paulsell, and everyone who sent in the names of their loved ones.
2: But you're right. There's so many more effective ways. They could just <laughs> they could just paint on a sheet, go hairy, and take it to the first task. Yeah. It would be more effective than what they are doing. But they will spend hours making these badges say "Potter really stinks." God bless them.
0: <laughs> Spoken as a true Detor- Detroit Tigers fan.
2: That, Drew- I think Drew- you're right. That's probably probably why I like it so much. I'm not gonna futile look. effort in the cause of good.
0: <laughs> okay.